This is Near FM. Weekday mornings from 11. This is Northside Today. Joining me in the studio now, uh, independent councillor, or independent candidate, I beg your pardon, for election 2016 in the Dublin Bay North constituency, Mr. Prunches O'Connor. Hiya Prunches, welcome back to Near FM. How are you Mark? Thanks for asking me. Are you mad? <laughs> Ask the wife that question. <laughs> yeah, I think I am a bit mad, but I just feel, Mark, it's something that uh, yeah I have to do. Yeah, you're uh, passionate about. I'm passionate about it. There, are a number of things that made me decide very late in the campaign to throw my hat in, and I just feel like if I'm sitting on a bar stool with a point in my hand and giving out, and somebody says to me, "No sense giving out. Mm-hmm. You have to try." Or what did you do? At least I can say I tried, yeah. and this is what we have to try and get Irish people more involved in politics. And it's our destiny, it's our way of life that's being destroyed at the moment. And we need the Irish people to get involved and to stop the rot and corruption mm-hmm. that's going on in our society at the moment. Absolutely. Just to give a little bit of background, um, you, you first ran in the local elections a couple that's of correct, years ago. Yeah. Uh, uh, with the anti-austerity alliance, you're an anti-austerity alliance. How was that experience for you? It was your first election, if I remember correctly. That was, that it was, was your first campaign, election, yeah. Uh, and in fairness to the anti-austerity alliance, uh, they're a good bunch of people. I gained great experience from them. Mm-hmm. They helped me all the way. And at that stage, I, the reason I joined the anti-austerity alliance was I was under the impression it was a, an alliance. Mm-hmm. So, which catered for independent people like myself. Yeah. But uh, as time went on, uh, differences began to arise, mm. and I felt I no longer had a voice within oh, okay. the alliance. Okay. So that's why I've left them. So you moved, you, you moved away then. Moved away, yeah. Well, I suppose that kind of happens in politics all the time. Of it Pe- does. Uh, yeah. People's ideas they go in different directions and, and stuff like that. So you. You, the local elections, uh, you had a run, you enjoyed the experience and everything else. And um, I suppose after an election, it's something that people probably don't know, uh, and maybe it gives a little bit of insight into that f- just f- briefly. After an election, when it's all over and the dust settles, what's that kind of period like? You know, I mean, we know for people who get elected, right, we know, but for, yeah. for people who've put a lot of time and effort and uh, gone to great expense to, to... What's that kind of period afterwards? Like? Is it a bit kind of weird? Is it a bit kind of after the Lord Mayor's ball, so to speak? Well, in, in the count centre itself, I mean, I was there all day Saturday uh, and I knew very early on yeah. I wasn't going to be elected yeah. because of the number of forced preferences mm-hmm. I've got. But I stayed with it. Yeah. And when the count went into Sunday, it was grand. But as you began to realise the inevitable yeah. and seeing the returning officer stand up and announce that you are eliminated yeah, yeah. it's a kick in the gut I'd say and you're standing there and you suddenly feel very alone mm-hmm. it doesn't mm-hmm. matter how many people are around you yeah. and commiserating with you you feel you do feel very alone because you've took on something that most people don't experience in their lives yeah. and you've had a go at it and, but you have to be willing to accept it mm-hmm. so you just pick yourself up 
and continue on. That's all Keep you can going. do. Yeah, absolutely, hundred percent. It's interesting you saying you were you were there into the Sunday. You'll probably be there into the Monday next week. <laughs> you want to bring a sleeping bag with you? <laughs> well, Paddy, Paddy Power, Paddy Power had me at two hundred to one. Oh well, and now it's dropped to eighty to one. Wow. <laughs> you just we need to say other bookmakers aren't available. <laughs> so right, you've you've as you say you've first and foremost as you say um, remind people because. Probably when, when you decided to get to run for the local elections, it was something that was personal to you that kind of drove you on to kind of stand up and say, "Hold on a minute, no, we want to make a change to this." I maybe forcefully remind maybe people of what those reasons were, and are they, are they still what's driving you on? Yeah, what what happened was when the economy collapsed, well, so-called collapsed, and and the banks so-called collapsed. I don't believe the spin that was put on it. And when the government agreed to bail out uh, unsecured, what I call money lenders, because that's what they were, and then began to introduce a tax on the very roof over our family's heads. I mean, a home that we paid for, we mortgaged, we paid for, and we had envisaged that our homes are for our children. Mm-hmm. Now Lensa House believed that we should pay a rent to them to live in our homes. That was one of the main things that inspired me to get into it. And when I seen the, the anti-austerity alliance, I joined them. Mm-hmm. Because the other thing that in, inspired me was, do you remember the Aircom shares there years back? The oh, government yeah. encouraged everybody, and they did encourage, to take out the Aircom shares. And when they collapsed, we were told, look, you took a gamble. You lost your money. Mm-hmm. Hard luck. And I felt... Why did this not apply to the unsecured bondholders? They have billions. Imagine having billions to loan to a bank or to loan to a country. And they should have been told, now, I have no problem with sovereign debt. Sovereign debt is what the government takes on on behalf of us. Mm -hmm. uh, And it's guaranteed. But unsecured bondholders should not have been paid. I I have two beautiful grandchildren at the moment. And when I look at them and I see Saib and Claude and I realise... They have a massive debt on their head already. And they don't even know what pocket money is. And that's so, so wrong. Mm. And that's what prompted me to start getting involved. Mm. And as I say, I went to the anti-Osserity Alliance. I joined them because there was an alliance at the time. Mm-hmm. But as it began to formulate political policy, mm. uh, I, did, I just didn't like the direction they went in. So... Yep. I moved aside moved and I was out in the wilderness for a while uh-huh. and with this election coming up then it was heartbreaking for me to realise I am by myself now as, as I say there are good people in all parties and yeah. all groupings uh-huh. there's just not enough in the one Yeah. so I just felt I had to try and do something and I joined the race very late on and I know it's an uphill struggle, but we can try. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we see, you know, you're talking about the the collapse and the bank bailouts and everything else that was done under the previous government, uh, yeah. the Fianna Fáil government. And then in, in, in 2011, we did general election and Fianna Gael and Labour formed a government on the, on the basis of, I suppose, a lot of people in 2011 reacted 
to to Fianna Fáil being That's the correct, party yeah. in power when the collapse happened. So it it, it kind of swung the other way. Have have you seen in the in the five years of this government that? Any uh, those things that you know the the bondholders and everybody else who are bailed out has has enough been done? Do you think to kind of say, well, right, we've put that behind us now and we are moving on? Certainly not, Mark. I mean, Finnegale is saying keep the recovery going. That's one of their big election slogans. What they mean is keep the property tax going, keep the water charges going, keep the USC going. Though they say they will eliminate it. I mean. Labour promised us the sun, moon and stars and reneged on practically every one of their promises. When I look at the so-called recovery, there is no recovery. Not for the ordinary working man in the street. There's no recovery. And in relation to the bondholders, if I went to the bank and I asked for a loan and I falsified my credentials and the bank gave me the loan, as soon as they found out I falsified my credentials... That loan becomes null and void and they can take it back. What happened in the bondholders, the banks went and falsified all the documents to, to it. Sorry, the, the, the bank bailout. They falsified the documents to the government. The government subsequently found out that the banks had falsified and allowed them to carry on. And, I mean, we bail at the banks. These are the very banks that are repossessing, taking houses off ordinary, decent people Mm -hmm. and throwing them out in the street and letting the state down. It's a domino effect. You take a house off a family, you throw them out in the street, and then the state has to then try and house them. Mm -hmm. And the banks... um, going, Going back earlier, before that... We had all these headlines in in the papers that the AIB or the Bank of Ireland or Anglo-Irish or wherever were making two to three million a day profit. They were making hundreds and hundreds of millions. Where did all that money go? They never once put it back into the banks. And if the government had said, look, we're bailing out the banks to the tune of X amount of billions, but the banks have to pay that back to us and will pay it back to us. And said to the banks, you're not turfing anybody out in their heads. If people can't pay the mortgages, it's because of the economic recession that you've caused. So we're going to put a five-year or a ten-year limit to allow people to recover. They allow the banks to recover by Mm -hmm. bailing them out, but they're not bailing out the ordinary people. Indeed. I mean, the the government parties and, as you say, the the campaign slogan to keep keep the recovery going and everything else, I mean, they'll they'll point to uh, unemployment figures dropped uh, dramatically. They will, you know, uh, say that we're shown uh, growth uh, with the fastest growing economy in Europe again. Uh, You know, they'll, they'll, they'll point to all kinds of numbers and figures and the, in in lots of cases the reality I mean the unemployment figures have dropped you know we are seeing growth so uh, the, 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 the government parties are, are, are proud of what they've done and what they're asking people to do is to give them a chance to finish their jobs they've admitted they've made mistakes they've admitted they made mistakes with the likes of Irish Water um, so you know if, if, if they're doing that good a job should well, maybe shouldn't they be given the chance to continue it well, the unemployment figures, Mark, I don't believe they've dropped. They've been massaged into job bridge and all that type of stuff. 
where they've taken people off the dole and they'll work for 40 hours for an extra 20 quid a week. I mean, that's absolutely, that's slavery. Uh, the unemployment figures, they've never took into account all the self-employed people. The tens of thousands of self-employed people that are, are entitled to absolutely nothing, one of which I'm one of them. And if I go to the doll office and say, look, I've had no work for the last three months, they just laugh at you. They tell you, oh, that has to be means tested. We want your bank accounts. We want your credit union account. We want your wife's credit union account. We want everything. And then we'll come out and means test you. And you get nothing. They've never once took into account the self-employed people who pay just as much, if not more, tax than the ordinary PAYE worker. So when they talk about recovery, I don't... You could ask a dog in the street about recovery. The ordinary Joe Soap does not get it. Now, in saying that, the rich people, when I say the rich people, have got richer. That's a fact of life. They have got richer while we have less spending power. And I'm not complaining about rich people. If a person is going to get off his arse and walk 16, 18 hours a day and build a business around himself, he's entitled to his big car and he's entitled to his house if he walks like that provided he's paying a fair share of the tax. I have no problem with a big car and a big house, but he must pay his fair share of tax. And some of the slogans you see, uh, attack the 1% or go after the 1%, there are people out there who are just filthy rich and know every scam and get away with it. They're the type of people we should be targeting. But as for the recovery, no. If you ask the ordinary man in the street, that is no recovery yet. The thing about, and this is what I always find interesting when people say about targeting the filthy rich, the filthy rich have the ability to move on. Correct. So, if if that's an economic policy, right, of what we'll do is we'll tax heavily the highest earners and we'll, we'll, we'll spread the wealth. If the highest earners don't want to pay, they have the ability to say, well, I'm off. Well, you see, that's so. What, so where do you where 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 do you then where does your economic policy go then? Well, my economic policy is a fairer taxation. I'm not saying we target any rich people, mm-hmm. because as I say, where any person that has been successful in business has become successful at a cost, long hours, headaches. I've done it myself. Uh, on a much, much smaller scale. You have mm-hmm. sleepless nights, you have accountants, you have the revenue to deal with. And when they, when they do make it successful, they are entitled to the perks of the job, but provided they pay a fair share of tax. And no human being can tell me that if you put a fair solution in front of them, that they'd reject it. You know? Well, and that's why I, I, I do move away from saying tax the rich, tax the rich. It's a fair taxation for everybody. And just let me th- move on from that a, a little ahead. bit. Uh, I just want to talk about the pensioners for, okay. for a moment. In the in the campaign, in the host, household campaign, nine out of ten pensioners that answered the door stood there in fear of the revenue. Stood there in fear. They're going to take this army pension. They're going to take an army pension. And I said to those people, look, just, just pay it. There's enough of us to continue on to fight it. People, as, as you talk, spoke to that chap there in the last programme, I believe that pensioners should be alleviated from that fear totally. That when they get their pension, that should be their pension. There should be no deductions from it whatsoever. 
If you have to make a deduction before you give it to them, do it. And if that pensioner puts the £100 or £200 euro into their purse or pocket, that's theirs. They shouldn't have to worry about putting in returns or anything else. Take the fear. Let's make it a more caring society where as you get older, what you have, you can walk down the street and look in your wallet and say, I can spend this. I'm not worried about the sheriff or the revenue sending me a bill. This is what I got as my pension and it's my money and to keep it. We have to make it a more caring society. So, and that that stems from a fairer taxation. That if it's a fair taxation and the successful people see it as a fair taxation, they will, they will pay up. They'll stand up to the plate and will pay it. And so will ordinary decent people if we can see where our money is going. Yeah. But at the moment, we can't. Well, I think that's something that's probably always been said about Irish, the Irish public in general is, is that they are fair-minded. Yeah. Um, and do you think you know the policies we've probably seen over the last eight, ten years have have, have finally worn out that fair mindedness? They've they've Irish people, the public in general, have said, "No, enough now, enough now, uh, no more." It has, Mark, and I'll tell you why. And unfortunately, the Irish are ferociously generous when it comes to famines and all this type of stuff all around the world, and we still do give. But one of my slogans on the posters is stop the rot and corruption. And on the leaflets I would put in society and politics. And the unfortunate thing is when we see in the corruption, and I call it corruption, when you have somebody on two and three hundred thousand euro a year and the working head of a charity, that that to me personally is corrupt. When you see some of the politicians and jumping from society back into politics, when you see some of the ex-politicians and they're on to over two and a half thousand euro a week, that's that's corruption. That is totally corruption. When I was out campaigning, a mother and daughter, and the daughter was only 18 years of age, and it's her first time to, to vote, and she was asking me what I could do about an education grant. And I was trying to explain to her I'd have to be elected before I can do it. But after the election, contact me and I will endeavour. And she then asked me what I stood for and I explained to her about one XTD on two and a half thousand. And the girl immediately said to me, that's my grant. And I said to her, one week's pension can put you through college for a full year. That's immoral. That, that, that's total corruption uh, at its best. And it gets to a stage where people in a pub or anywhere at home, sitting down, seeing our charities corrupt, seeing our politics corrupt, they do to get to a stage where a collection box is put in front of them and they just look and they say, you must be joking. So, I mean, you just going on, I mean, the, the like we know, we know about TDS pensions, we know about TDS pay, I mean, uh, do you think they're overpaid? Oh, yeah, most yeah. definitely well overpaid. And the unfortunate thing is, Mark, they'll tell us, oh, there's nothing we can do about that payout. That's a legal matter. But they were very quick to bring out the legal teams when they wanted to force uh, the revenue to take money out of people's wages. They could change the law overnight. But when it comes to their, what I would say, their level, oh, it's a legal thing, we can't do it. Of course they can do it. A TD salary 
just a, a straightforward TD salary by Carl elected in the morning uh, on Friday is eighty seven thousand euro. That's wrong, and it's totally wrong. I mean, you look at the average industrial wage. You, you'd get people up around eight hundred thereabouts. Mm-hmm. That's a decent wage to be. Uh, you know what I mean? It, it's absolutely crazy what people are on, uh, and and the TDs then with the pensions and their expenses and everything else. It's just. It's a moral. It's corruption at its highest level. Yeah, you know? see, the problem there, and it's always going to be the problem, is is that the people who vote are to decide what the wages are are the people who are getting the wages. Correct, <laughs> and they they bring in their own wages and per- <coughs> Excuse me. But you see, there again, we have the finance committee in the doll. Mm-hmm. We have all these committees, one committee after another committee after another, and then we have one tribunal after a tribunal after a tribunal, and nobody is held accountable. They tell the people in the street what we already know. Mm-hmm. A bank and inquiry, everybody knew what went on. But they held a bank and inquiry, millions of euros spent, and nobody held accountable. Mm-hmm. They will hold tribunal after tribunal, and nobody's held accountable. That's a total, total waste of resources and money that could be spent on homelessness, could be spent in our A&Es, could be spent in our, in our schools for, mm-hmm. for the education and for the old people. And it's just being wasted. Punches, I just wanted to, before I let you go, um, depending on whose figures you believe, there was somewhere between 20,000 and 80,000 people took to the streets of Dublin uh, again over the weekend. Um I think it's moved on slightly from um it's moved on slightly from uh, I, it's not just an anti-water protest movement it seems to be kind of bigger than that now it seems to have kind of grown into something bigger than that now regardless of whether it was 20,000 or 80,000 that's an awful lot of voters that's an awful lot of people making their voice heard do you think that feeling has been underestimated I think the government has has underestimated the, the, the will of the people. The will of the people at every one of those marches have sh- turned out in large numbers, sometimes in heavy rain. And the government, uh, the government parties, Fine Gael and Labour, have just totally ignored the will of the people. Uh, in relation to numbers, I don't listen to RTE in relation to numbers because mm. I never believed them because when I'm at the marches I can see the amount of people there so when RT well in fairness to RT RT are just given the numbers that are quoted to them Freud by whoever or whatever organisation they they have complicated maths for walking out how many people are in a square foot it's, or something it's, a, it's, so, ama- it's amazing that the BBC <laughs> will give a different number well I mean again it depends BBC gives a second it depends on who their sources are I suppose but. Hey, well that's well we all know I mean, I, I, I could tell you stories, Mark, uh, as, as... Yeah, I think we did about, discuss that, that the election, before, yeah. but <laughs> we could tell you stories about RT. Yeah. But in relation to the mood of the people, yeah. I mean, when you look at families, and it, it, it's not... It's not all young people. There's families mm. attend all these rallies with yeah. children and buggies. And, I mean, if, if you went back 20 years, those families weren't interested in, in, in politics. They are now. They've become aware of what's around them, what's being charged. Mm-hmm. And the reason they're becoming aware of it is they feel it in their pocket. Mm-hmm. All these charges, the likes of the water charge and the property tax. And what people don't realise is all that is coming out of their 
net wages. The net wages, after you've paid your tax, the hand comes back in through the window and says, oh yeah, we forgot about the property tax. That's area net wages, which is, mm-hmm. obviously, if you, if you convert it into gross, it's more. And people are beginning to say, well, look, we didn't have the money for the holiday last year. We're struggling to pay our mortgage. We're in negative equity. And it's a major, major burden over people's heads. That's why people are beginning to get politicised and go to these marches. And while they're at these marches, there's organisations out there picking them up, getting them to join up, educating them. And suddenly the people begin to realise, you know, we can fight this. I think what's usually interesting as well is that... uh it's across society the people who are who are who are protesting. I mean, you, you know, you, it's not just working class people, uh, yeah. middle class people, professional people, everything. It does seem to be across the board that this feeling is out there, and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how that transfers into the election now. Come, uh, come Friday, uh, you you've been. On the on the trail yourself now the campaign trail. Well, I suppose we 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 can't lose sight of the fact that uh, candidates and 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 politicians aren't only on the campaign trail when there's a campaign on. You're always out there walking in the community and everything else. But the last couple of weeks you've been out there pounding the pavements and knocking on the doors. How's it been? It's been very tough because as an independent candidate and and I'd always compared it to the anti-austerity alliance, whereas you had a massive team around you. But when you decide to go out campaigning, you're relying on your family members. Mm-hmm. And it's a much smaller team, much, much smaller. And you're trying to balance a family life with campaigning. And if it's raining that night, it's a question of, I'll stay in. Mm-hmm. You, you can't. No. You have to get out and do it because it's such a short campaign to three weeks. You have to do take every available opportunity you have. And I, I personally found talking to the people you get a great reception when they realise you're an independent because most people have said to me I'm not going to vote A, B or C mm-hmm. that's it I'm going to vote independent and they'll ask you questions and when you come across they know by talking to you Mark that you're either honest or you're not honest you either bullshit them or you don't mm-hmm. and I feel you tell the truth that's where honesty starts if you tell the truth we can stop this rotten corruption. And this is what I do say to people. It's not just in politics, it's in society. And we have to get honest, honest, decent people into politics to stop it. A friend of mine once said, what we need in Leinster House is not politicians. We need uh, political, uh, we need patriots, sorry. Mm-hmm. We need patriots in Leinster House, not politicians. And by that he meant it, I thought about it, but that he meant patriots love their country and will do anything for their countries, as we know have down through mm-hmm. our history. So we do need patriots in there who will put the country first, not themselves, and get rid of some of the corrupt politicians that are in there. And people, it's not just the corrupt politicians, it's people who are turning a blind eye to what's going on. Yeah. I mean, we have the whistleblowers in, in the guards and we've seen the way they were treated. We need whistleblowers in Leinster House who will blow them out of the water and put decent people in there to start looking after the people. And when you educate people on the ground at these marches and get them into organisations, they begin to become more aware of what's actually actually happening. And, like, 
if you think back over the last few centuries and think of our great leaders, who can you look at now in this field today, all our political leaders, who would you look at and say, Jesus, he's a great leader or she is a great leader? There's very few people that you can look at and if you were to ask the country as a whole, what one person stands out there? There is nobody. In my eyes, mm -hmm. there is nobody at the moment. And then you have a situation where politics... The general election... I mean, I was down in Cork there the weekend and I seen on the back of the bus and I pointed out to the son-in-law, uh, whichever candidate it was, and it says, jobs for Cork. This is our national government we're trying to elect. And each candidate wants, I'll have jobs for Clontarf, I'll have jobs for Tala, I'll do this, I'll do this. This is a national government. And then when we do elect a national government, a former government, a person becomes Taoiseach that the country didn't even vote for. Uh, yeah, you have the likes of Enda, who the people in Mayo voted for, and he's our national leader. That's wrong. To me, a national leader should be voted for, but there should be a second election for a Taoiseach. I know this is a radical yeah, idea, yeah. but if you had a Taoiseach elected by the people, you may get, just for argument's sake, you had a Fine Gael Labour government, but you had a Fianna Fáil Taoiseach. Then we would have more controversy in government and the parties would be held accountable. And instead of just electing jobs for the boys, we form a, a coalition and say, right, who's the best? We'll we elect and I will elect whoever. Well, that's, that's, you know. that's, that's a whole area of political reform we're looking at there. Of course I mean, it, it is. It's, that's it's, what we need, Mark. It's, it's as we say, I mean, like, the players might change, but the game stays the same. Correct. You That's know, exactly what I'm uh, but I mean, just just thinking about on the example you gave there, and and it's an interesting one. And the system we have is the system we have. But I mean, if you look at say America and their system, yeah, you have a Democratic president, and the yeah. Republicans are in control of the Senate. Uh, right. uh, you know, and that it just grinds everything to a halt. It, they're button heads all the time, and there's not a but lot of stuff getting done. Always get through it. Now, if you had a Democratic House and a Democratic president. They just sweep through what they want to sweep through, like Fine Gael and Labour swept through the, the property tax, the water charges and everything else. If they were held accountable, we, we have a president here who's just literally a figurehead. He was allegedly a Labour man, but he signed into power. But that's his role. That's, well, that's, that's his role, you know. Mark, if, just supposing the president said, I feel the water tax is wrong, I'm not signing it. And stood up and said, no, me personally, I have to go with me conscience, I'm not signing it. And stood up for the people and said, no, I'm not signing it. The same with the property tax. He could have done it. That but there been... are mechanisms to circumvent that as well. They just go to the, they'll just go to the courts and the courts will just pass it anyway. Of course there is, Mark. But the fact of the matter is we would have had somebody to look to. Mm -hmm. At the moment, they formulate a policy and it just swept through because there's nobody there to stop it. And as you say, if the president hadn't assigned it and it had it went back, at least we would have seen some sort of a light at the end of the tunnel. There is none at the moment. Yeah, I think yeah, I, I, I think political reform, as you say, is it's a different conversation. We could probably talk <laughs> for hours about about. I mean, how would you even begin? And I I, I get where you're coming from, yeah. and I understand what you're saying. And and it's not just an Irish problem. I mean, it's it's something that you see people talking about all over the world is political reform. And uh, you know, as I say, where you, you hear people even in this campaign talking about civil war politics. 
yeah, and civil yeah. war divides, you know. And and you know, here we are nearly a hundred years later and they're still the they're still the lines on which our elections are fought in a lot of senses and a lot yeah. of ways. Um what do you think about now we go to Friday, uh the the votes are cast, you wake up Monday morning, you're a new T D, an independent T D uh, we all know that the fun and games before the election is one thing, but the fun and games that's going to happen after is going to be really interesting. Um, is there anybody you wouldn't talk to? No, as I said earlier, Mark, uh, I believe, and I genuinely believe, there are good people in all parties and mm-hmm. all groupings and that, that genuinely have the country at heart. They just don't have enough people. It's like when the, the Eighth Amendment came up and Enda Kenny brought the party whip in and Terence Flanagan and Lucinda Creighton borrowed against them. They were, in my mind, they were good people. They stood up for what they believed in even though they knew it was going to cost them. They stood up and said, enough, too far. And they took the consequences. So the, the answer to your question is there is nobody I wouldn't talk to. But when I was talking to them, I would hold fast on my ideals mm-hmm. and my my heart, you know. Yeah, well, I think that I think that's where the the kind of fear for people comes into it. Sometimes is that you know when it comes to you know after the election and some sort of government's going to be formed. We will, you know, all the indicators are that we're going to be looking at some form of coalition government. Um, it's independence, especially is. You know, do they have a price, so to speak? Uh, I don't mean you individually. Yeah, I mean yeah. across the board. We've seen down the years how some independents have gone, probably abandoned the people who voted them, yeah. and 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 everything else. So uh, it's 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 going to be a good one. It's going to be an interesting one. I think it's going to be a long week. What's the week like for you ahead? It's a hectic week. No, no sleep till Brooklyn, yeah. No sleep, no sleep at all. It's out there trying to get uh, the viewers across. I mean, one of the main reasons, Mark, uh, I enter this competition is uh, I love Ireland. Mm-hmm. I think it's one of the best countries in the world. I'm Irish. I'm Irish first, European second. I've no problem being European, but I'm Irish first, and I'm proud. And when I look at the Irish society, I think we have a great society, but it's been eroded one brick at a time and it's been just dismantled all the way down and we're talking about the religious in schools get the religious out of schools and you have to baptise your child to get into a Catholic school that's wrong now I do believe that the Catholic Church has done a fantastic job in this country I'm not talking about the paedophiles I'm talking about the Catholic Church as a whole and what people forget is that If we're going to remove the religious area of the schools, this is going to have to go right across the board. It's going to have to go into the Jewish schools, the Protestant schools, and the big school that's out in Klonski, the mosque that's out Mm -hmm. there. How are they going to take that they're going to be asked to remove all their emblems and allow Catholics into their school? This is a minefield that we're entering into. Now, there, there are rights and wrongs in it. Now, I don't believe a child should have to get baptised to get into a Catholic school. That's wrong. That's totally wrong. But the system we have is a good system. It needs a little tweet here and there. We don't need to dismantle it and get rid of it. When you have the likes of people objecting to a crib in a hospital 
and they go, Irish people go and move the crib around the corner. That tears on my heartstrings, we're Irish, and we should be saying, this is our country, this is our traditions. When we when we visit your country, we would put well, the garb on ever going into your mosque. Have respect for our traditions and stop trying to dismantle them. Yeah, that's that that's a whole other conversation. We could spend an hour talking about <laughs> talking about all of that stuff as well. Uh, yeah, I'm here while you're talking to me. I'm getting all kinds of ideas. We'll, we'll come back and we'll talk about that. We'll come back and we'll talk about that. The whole all all um all differing. Uh, uh, Conversations that we could have over it's all kinds of country. Let's keep it. Kind, yeah, but diversity is good. Diversity, diversity is good to an extent. Is good, Mark, and and I'll tell you very quickly. Explain that to you. Do you realise that if you're a Christian in some of the Muslims' countries, do you pay a tax? Well, you know, we that's have we have freedom. I've I've no problem. I have never ever asked anybody their religion because uh-huh. I respect the per- person's beliefs, and I've yeah. never asked them. But what I do object is that when people not of my faith come in and start telling me what I can wear and what I can look at and what I can see, and they're in my country, that's wrong. They should come in and accept and integrate into the country. And if they want to build their own schools or their own uh, churches or, or whatever, yes, I have no problem with that. But don't tell me how to live. I don't agree that people are coming into this country telling anyone how to live or they're telling anybody what to do. I think we, we take incidents in isolation and we blow them up to mean more than they actually do. I think there's an awful lot of uh, scaremongering goes on. There's and an the awful lot disappeared of, from James's hospital. Uh, well, look, there's a management committee in there's a management committee in James's hospital, and I'm sure whatever decision they made. They made for whatever reasons are there. I don't have all the facts of that case. I don't have anybody here to from either side to say, this is what we did, this is what we didn't do, and this yeah. is why we did it. We only have speculation. We only have what we read in newspapers. I mean, you're, you're happy enough there to say that you don't trust uh, the national broadcaster, but yeah, you know, other forms of media, whatever the, you know, we we can all do that. I take trust a story. I with my eyes, Mark. Yeah, and I well, walk into the hospital at Christmas, and the crib is around the corner. That's you can't dispute that. Well, the 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 place to start with that prunches, and I'd I'd say this wholeheartedly is the place to start with that is the management committee who decided to move it then break it down talk to why was it moved talk to the people who wanted it moved and then that's when you become an inclusive society and that's when you say right let's kind of sit but when we have this thing of them and us that you, you can't you can't that's we need to but you see mark i i never said them and us yeah i've I don't oh no, I'm stop. not saying you did. No, I'm not I saying you did. Refugees, genuine yeah. refugees coming into this country. I mean, the Vietnamese boat people came in, yeah. the Chinese come They all come in and they integrate into society. Yeah. And there's absolutely no... No, problem. I'm not saying you did, but what I'm saying is when we're creating that idea... Oh, yeah. Of yeah. them and us. That's yeah. that we, we that that's not a, that's not an inclusive society. From, yeah. It's it's not a free society. Yeah. And uh, you know, as I say, we can debate for for hours and that stuff. And most definitely, <laughs> it's gone into the bank. There, it's gone into the back of my head. We're going to have this conversation further down the line <laughs> when we've more time. But uh, yeah, yeah, that that's a whole other area of of you know we 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 know about the massive migration crisis that's going on in Europe, and we know 
the the impact it's having around the world. Get to the root cause of that as well. Well, that's another conversation as well. Keep dropping them off there, Prunches. I'll keep writing them down. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, Prunches, we're going to have to let you go. It's been good seeing you again and good talking to you again. And... uh, Look, we, we've, we've said to all the candidates we spoke to, you know, we wish you all the very best for Friday. Yeah. We hope it goes well. And um, as you say, you're going to be on the streets for the next few days. On the streets for the next few days. Not that you'll have to be kicked out of your house or anything yet. They didn't repossess <laughs> my house. Yeah, no, but anyway. you're going to be knocking on the doors and shaking the hands and yeah. meeting the people for the next it's few days. Very, it's very, very hard, Mark, as I yeah. say. The, there's the best part of 50,000 houses there. Yeah. I'm one person. Mm. I have a very, very small team around me. So if you don't see me knocking at your door, it's just the time constraint. Yeah. So please consider me. Absolutely. Vote number one. Please. And uh, we'll, we'll uh, look forward to seeing you. Probably see you over the weekend. I'll be over in the county centre myself. Yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll, I'll keep an eye out for you and we'll have, a, we'll have a chat and a cup of tea or whatever on Saturday. Prunches, as always, thanks very much for coming in and talking to us on Near FM. It's always, it's always thanks good very to much see for you. having me, Mark. Not at all. This is... Near FM. Weekday mornings from 11. This is North Side Today.